Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Salam, phone on the record. This is Minister Cedric Van Israel, Tribe of Judah, and welcome to. Thursday night fellowship line. The time now is seven o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, six o'clock p.m. Central. And is Minister Priest online? Yes, sir. I'm here. Yes, sir, brother. I will now yield the floor to you. I yield, brother. So. Sure. Um, I can't see if anybody's online. Um, is there anybody here, brother? Yeah, we have uh, Ima Yaruf. We have uh, Akarikini's consort. We have Octrayvon. I know I, I, those are the only ones that I, I heard, if I can remember. Anyone else Hello, online? Ike. So it's Brother Ike. Brother Ike, yes, sir. Anyone else? Okay. Is there anyone else? Okay. I yield the floor to you now, brother. All right. Um, This is... First thing I want to do is take some time out to, again, remind everybody that Brother Bradley and Sister Shanice um, need prayers and positive energy. Brother Bradley, as we were alerted, or we were alerted last week about uh, the child of Bradley and Shanice, And then this past Monday, um, Ramya alerted me of Bradley's father passing away. So he's had these two things happen back to back, and I'm sure that's very stressful and strenuous. And so um, they really need our prayers and positive energies. So I would like to take out about uh, 30 seconds as we open this call to um, a moment of silence for prayers and positive energies for the brother and sister and their loved ones and relatives.
So we're back. Please keep them in mind. Shalom, Sister Nisha. And please keep these uh, prayers and positive energies flowing. They they really need our love and support and positive energy, as anybody would in these type of situations. Anybody know anything about this Vegas shooter? No, has anybody seen it? Sister Nisha, was that you? Yes, sir. Shalom. So you you have seen it? I've seen and I heard about 58 people got taken out at some country western concert in Las Vegas. Somebody was shooting them off of the, uh, I think it was the Mandalay Bay Hotel, and supposedly it was some retired, you know, Marine that went AWOL and did it because of some family situation, but... That is the just of the information that I found out about it because, you know, I'm trying to get some work in, and I yield. What do you have, Brother E.K.? So uh, pretty much the same thing as the sister had mentioned. Um, I also, it was also talking about um, how his uh, consort was, like, stopped at the Airports by federal agents to like I guess bringing her for questioning and something like that, but um and that she had she herself was kind of like in the dark about the whole thing as far as like how he was going to carry out that act that he committed um and about like just people in general were you know yeah pretty much what the sister was saying as far as like people who were unfortunately killed and injured and stuff like that so. Um, that's about as far as I know about the story. Well, I read something that the uh, shooter was trying to kill Chance the Rapper. Did anybody hear that? <laughs> I, don't no, know. I don't even know. I didn't hear about that. I I don't know who he is, but not it's him and some singer. But I just wanted to put that out there. Um, Brother Ramia is really he's really in touch, and I I just got to acknowledge that he's really in touch with people as far as um really showing genuine care and concern for people. I mean, he he does this with me. Like, when I talk with, with him, um, he might pull me aside and let me know. But one of the things that is heavy on my heart and heavy on my mind is Sister Shanice and Brother Bradley. And I'm thinking of this right now because 
he he displayed something that I, I think that we should all know about and we should all um, put into our repertoire of morality. So Bradley was gone for a while from the nation. Um, he basically just disappeared, you know. But Ramya was always keeping up with him, keeping in contact with him. And I just remember that a lot because he didn't treat the brother, as far as I know. Now, I don't know what they might have talked about personally, but I'm just telling you how he's represented it to me. He never treated that brother like he was anything other than a brother. And my understanding was they maintained a good relationship even when Brother Bradley was gone. I'm not saying they would talk every day or anything like that, but it was a respectful, brotherly um, relationship. And I really want to acknowledge that because that shows us that these our, our brothers and sisters go beyond just people that are in the nation and beyond people that are Hebrews or practicing Hebrews or whatever. And when Bradley's had these issues uh, with the child that Shanice and himself were having passing away, and with Bradley's father. Ramya has had such a good relationship with with Bradley in particular throughout all these things. He was able to um, be there for the brother, step up, and alert the nation. That's the spirit that we all need to be in. And not just people that are in the nation, but even people that are not in the nation. That's really, really something that's been heavy on my mind, I wanted to say. Because just like anybody else, Ramya has been going through his his own personal things. But I'm telling you, no matter what your experience may have been with Ramya, I've been telling you what my experience has been with him. And... He's gone through some really bad situations. But you know what? He's maintained, remarkably, he's maintained his consistency and dedication to the nation no matter what he's gone through. He He's never disappeared and not let people know, um, you know, what's going on. He's he's been he's been through hell, but he's been there. We all have our issues, you know what I'm saying. We all go through our hell in our personal lives. But one of the important things about dealing with a body of people is we all gotta we all gotta let one another know when we are able to what's going on. So I just wanted to acknowledge that and um, please keep 
Brother Bradley and Sister Shanice and your prayers, positive energy. Is there anything anybody wants to discuss before we get started? I can't see who's all on the line yet. I'm trying to. I'm having some computer issues, but um, so I don't know who's all on the line. Um, Shalom, brother. Um, just there's something that was on my mind. So I I finally got my new birth certificate, and I saw something on there I thought was really interesting. Let me, I'm going to read it right quick. It says at the very bottom, like when they change your name on it, it says tax amended. So they'll have date amended, element name, previous value, and corrected value. And it says for the element name, they'll, they'll say your newborn middle name or newborn last name. And then they have your previous value, which I and they'll have your old name on it. And then it says corrected value, which is the new name on it. Now, <laughs> I want I'm going to say what I think this is, and you tell me whether or not you agree. So, when it says correct or previous value and corrected value. Uh, and it has the old name of, uh, for the previous value and the new name for the corrected value. Are they now telling you that you, the man or woman, is the value of what they're calling a birth certificate? Because that's the only thing I can mess up in my mind when I saw that. It says Previous value and corrected value. I kid you not. <laughs> Excuse me. I love law, man. I love law. I love government, man. All right, hold on. I'm about to look this up, and I I I, I could speak on it, but I think I need to read this. Hold on, because this isn't. This is important. I'm glad you said that, brother, because that is very important. TheLawDictionary.org. What is value? The utility of an object in satisfying directly or indirectly the needs or desires of human beings called by economists economists value in use or its worth consisting in the power of purchasing other objects called value in exchange. Also the estimated or appraised worth of any object of property calculated in money. The term is also used, is also often used as an abbreviation for valuable consideration, especially in the phases, excuse me, especially in the phrases purchaser for value, holder for value, etc. 
I'm going to read again a little faster. The utility of an object in satisfying directly or indirectly the needs or desires of human beings. That part should tell you something. Called by economists, value and use, or its worth consisting in the power of purchasing other objects called value and exchange. Also, the estimated or appraised worth of any object of property calculated in money. Now, the, the thing about this, brother, is you, if I if I were just to just outright say what it is, it's really difficult to see when I just read this this um, definition. This, how can I put this? Hmm. Value, worth. Look, the 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 paper that is printed on itself is actually bond paper, mm-hmm. or it has a. And here's the other crazy thing: if people don't know what bond paper, one form of bond paper is, is cotton. Now that ought to tell you something too. Oh, wow. Cotton. So there's different types of bond paper. Some of them are 100% cotton. Some of them are 70, so on and so forth. And when you're using bond paper, usually they're only going to give you the 100% bond paper, but um, they do have the cheaper ones. The value here has been adjusted. It's been adjusted because who is the, like this definition say, who's the holder of the value now? Do you see what I'm saying? But who is the, where where once it was a value in exchange by definition, Mm -hmm. at once value in use, but now who is the holder for value? The real flesh and blood, you. It's wow. an adjust. It's an adjustment. Because because listen, not I don't know who's all on the line, but if, for those who are not in in the first degree yet, or those who may be, here's the thing. There are two negotiable instruments. No, let me rephrase it. Two commercial instruments. Birth certificate, social security card. So remember, remember, who is the holder in due course of the social security card? Yeah. You you are. Then look at it. When you get a social security card, it has a place for a signature. Why is that? Because you put your original 
wedding signature to that commercial instrument, making you the holder of the originator of the instrument, making you the holder in due course of the instrument, making you the one who is owed money. So that commercial instrument, Social Security card, is evidence that you are owed money. Whereas the birth certificate, which you do not sign, somebody else signs it for you, i.e. mother and or father, they're transferring that property, the child. They're transferring that property over to the commercial usage, or as this definition exchange explains, value in exchange, value in use. They transfer it over to the mother country of United States of America Incorporated. Okay, so now Beast Incorporated has something of value that a commercial instrument conveyed the actual value in exchange over to the United States of America Incorporated. So now United States of America Incorporated can use that commercial instrument just like money. They can use it just like any other negotiable or non-negotiable commercial instrument. They can buy, sell, and trade. Now, those who don't, idolaters don't understand that. When they're dealing with the scriptures, they think, oh, mark of the beast, all of that. We're the ones that originated this at the orders of the Most High. The Most High told us to do this. So I can't answer this in any, most things I can't answer in any short amount of time, something this big, but I got to get this out so that it's clear. Contingent upon your spiritual and social condition, contingent upon your commercial condition, the value that is placed on that birth instrument is what determines whether or not you are born into debt. Debt obligation, taxpayer, bond, servant, slave. So here we have a live, a live testimony. Shedrick is reading right off of the instrument itself that there was an amended adjustment to the value mm-hmm. because the value is now in your hands. What did they do? They showed you that removing the name that they placed on you, the last name, makes a change commercially and in value. By doing that, it's written right on the face of the instrument, and you would overlook it, and you would not see it. I hope that makes sense, brother. It makes sense to me. I, I when I saw like when I first got it, I was like, "Praise the Lord!" So then I happened to just look down, and I was like, "What?" 
I was like, it's in section two because they have it in two sections. They have the original birth certificate, and then they have the facts amended and the documentary evidence. Um, the documentary evidence is uh, the final order issued in Chatham County, um, and they have it uh, amended by D. Ware. Uh, original document date, which is the day that I got the, um, the court order. To the uh, left hand of that is the facts amended. And then I was like, I got to ask, you know, chief minister about that because when I saw previous value and corrected value, it was like a red flag went off. And I was like, it don't say what I know what I know it says. I just need to be sure it says what I know it says. Because I know I'm, I was like, I know I'm reading it right, but it can't be. And when you said it, I was like, holy crap. Yeah. It says exactly what it said. But, um, yeah, man, I, I can't do nothing but just shake my head, and, you know, and just thank the most high. But that's what I wanted to ask, brother, and I yield. Shalom. Yes, sir. I have a question regarding that. So um, what happens with the estate that owned the previous value in his name? So does he get control over it now that, now that his name has been corrected, I mean, changed, so to speak, on the birth certificate? Like, well, how does that work as far as, like, now who the quote-unquote property holders were of his previous last name, now that his name has changed? Well, to make it simple, when you stop using that name, there's certain uh, economic adjustments that must be made because, um, I don't know how to say this in a simple way, but I'm going to do the best I can. It's just like if if you have a license, right? If you have a license to... Uh, franchise, you, you're a franchise holder of McDonald's, all right? So you own your own McDonald's, meaning you literally have a license to use the name McDonald's, but you have to pay, you have to pay an annual fee for that. No different than you pay an annual fee for a driver's license. Uh-huh. Same thing, okay? So listen, you're paying an annual fee to use the McDonald's name. So what happens when you stop using the McDonald's name? You don't have to pay that annual fee. Same thing. It's just done. In, you see what I'm saying? It's done by taxation. Now, there might, there might be other taxation um, applications in the equation, but that one there is major. That's major. And it will show up in your quote-unquote income. A few different pennies will be off where you'll you'll see you, you might not even notice but there'll be two to four cents every now and then or whatever it is now with the dollar seven cents whatever adjustments onto your tax statements on your checks things like that and it will, it'll be a slight change but the the one thing one of the things i'm glad you said that ek we got to stop taking a penny for granted. We got to stop that. A penny is very powerful. Pennies are very powerful. So hopefully that makes sense, bro. 
Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Yeah, so just be be mindful. Like, um, I mentioned that I met with some billionaires recently, and they were asking me about these kinds of things. And they were thinking, they were, they actually said this to me, like, how is it that we've been, how is it that, you know, we've had, we've been successful and had all this money for all this time and we don't know about this. And I said, well, I have to respectfully say to you, I said, please don't be offended, but I have to respectfully say to you, it's a matter of education and self willingness to see outside the box. Like, you know, it, you you have to be able to see outside the box. You have to ask questions about what you're doing. And it's really difficult for people that are used to just making all this money to ever ask a simple question. That's why it is so difficult for a rich man to it's easier for a rich man to go through the uh, uh, eye of a needle. A camel to go through an eye of a needle, then the rich man enter into the kingdom of heaven, because you you're so used to just thinking, oh, I got all these riches. You don't you don't even have time to re- ever really question it. What would you question it for? Why would you care? And I was trying to explain it to them. So, I said, you know, Dave Chappelle. Did anybody hear how much money they just gave Dave Chappelle? Did anybody hear this? You mean from Netflix? Yeah. yeah, you know how much it was? Like in, it was like, like in the millions. Yeah, it was like 60 million or something like that. that, that, that I think that's what I remembered in, uh, giving him. Yeah. $250 million. Wow. <laughs> Dang, I'm just really wrong. That was all my <laughs> Now, think about this. I mean... Dave Chappelle is a rare case. He's a rare case because you can really see that he's really well balanced. Mm. Like he, you know, he doesn't buy this hype over this money issue. He ain't into that. However, he's one of the rare individuals that will actually think deeply about what he's getting himself into and, and the things about life. But how many people are going to do that? You give any Negro on the street $250 million, and they don't give a damn whatever happens. They don't. You know, they're not going to ask questions about nothing in life. They're not going to care about their own people. They ain't going to care about their history. Why do they want to know history? Why do they want to know commerce? They got all the commerce they need to know. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Does that, um, being that Dave Chappelle is still in the, using his quote-unquote slave name, is that still contracting yourself into slavery? Like they were going to get him one way or another, and I yield. Of course it is. But, you know, he might not see that, but it's simple as this. If you if you have a license to use McDonald's, as long as you use a McDonald's, you're gonna pay a fee. So every time, although the the um, the quote unquote owner 
I own my own McDonald's. I mean, yeah, you own it. You don't possess it. You're using McDonald's. And McDonald's is paying you. That's fine. You pay McDonald's to use their name. That in and of itself is fine. But the the problem is you got to know it. And you got to know what the long-term goal is. The long-term goal in, in a case like Dave Chappelle should be, should be, okay, I got over $250 million. I have all this money. How do I protect it? How do I protect my offspring financially? What do I need to do? So he should be thinking in terms of, hey, where are the issues? Which this might not come across his mind, but where does my last name come from? You know, you're doing business in that last name. As long as you're conscious, consciously aware about what your long-term goal should be, which is to establish and or reestablish your creator's name that was given to you by the most high. That should be the the goal. And as long as you think that way, it should be okay. You should be okay. Because eventually you'll do it. Even if you have to go through your learning curve, but eventually you'll do it. And if you don't, make sure you got people around you that 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 understand that so that if something happens to you, it's carried on. There was um oh man, I forget this guy. Oh man, I can't forget this. There's some famous black leader that had been accused of a crime who was recently pardoned um, by the United States of America. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Because I can't remember who it is. He's dead, but yet he had a pardon from, he was pardoned from crimes can't even remember who it was. Here's my point. Law always continues. So if something happened to you and you did not do a name adjustment or amendment, as long as the people around you, your blood relatives, know that they can do it for you even when you are no longer here. That's the point. And actually, I discussed that with these billionaires. I discussed that with them. I told them that. Anyhow, that is very, very important information. So I can see who's online now. North New Jersey... That would be Trevon, okay, Brother Kedrick, North of Jersey, E.K., Bernard, Alex, Mid-Texas. Is that Brother Ramya? 
Shalom, yes, I. Shalom, brother. How long you been here? I've been here since seven o'clock. Oh, okay. I didn't know that, brother. <laughs> okay, uh, South Carolina. South Carolina, is that Yakeem? Um, South Carolina. Okay, that's. I, I think that is Yakeem. Um, he said that he was calling in. It's okay, either him or uh, brother Zine. Yeah. Okay. Southwest Georgia. North is North Georgia. Is that Montavia? Um. Yes, sir. All right. Okay. So there are a few people that uh, have not caught all the way up to where we need to be. So um, let's go over. Is there anybody that's caught up? That'll be easier. Is there anybody that wasn't caught up that needs to be caught up with the very basic things? Facebook, Twitter. Yes. Yes, brother Alex. Uh, I'm not really caught up like I should be, but hopefully by this weekend I'll be caught up to at least with a Twitter and everything because right now I got a Twitter account, but I know what I had read, you were saying that we need to uh, come up with another Twitter account using our distribution name, right? Yes, sir. Okay, cool. But yeah, uh, I should have I should be up to date by by this weekend. Shalom. Anybody else? Shalom, Sister Nisha. Oh, go ahead, Ramya. I'm not totally caught up. Um, I still have to do the Twitter as well. Okay. Sister? Yes. Um, I will be just getting back home Saturday, so I'm going to have to do some hustling. I got the distribution company Facebook page up, and I have to do the rest. Um, I have a Google Plus page. I have a Twitter page. I have to do some name changing and some new email addresses. So I would say by Monday, Tuesday next week, I'll be caught up. And I yield. Okay. So the whole thing about this is that we are in a very serious time in America, and nature is sending out signs that there's there's something big, bigger than what has been happening on its way, a major change. Um, I saw that the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers head coach has friends that were shot in Las Vegas. So, 
I'm out in the public surroundings and conspiracy theories are, Lord have mercy, (laughs) that this was a false flag, it's not really happening, it didn't really happen, it is staged, uh, it's a Hollywood movie studio, and this is why I've been asking about it every day I've been on the call, I've been asking everybody about it every time I get on the call. Because I happen to be around people that are always going into conspiracy theories. So, I want to state this. Take it or leave it, but I'm going to just keep it 100 I would I would believe a politician telling me about a conspiracy than the average general public said citizen. I don't care who they are. I'm being 100% real with you. And why do I say that? Because most of the conspiracies that I hear, here's the one that I, I was just dealing with. Okay, why the reason why this is a false flag is because it was a Manchurian candidate. He was programmed to mentally uh, mind controlled to do this. Um, so they manufactured it so they can take all the guns out of the hands of citizens and only the police will have guns. So I bring up this issue with law. And I and they oh they I was also told somebody told me this that this is because they want to throw out from the Constitution the right to bear arms. Now just hear me out. Weapons and arms are not legally and or lawfully the same thing. Weapons fall under the category of concealed weapons for the most for, for the most part. Arms do not fall under that category. So this is, from a law perspective, I'm not some expert, but I do have a little bit of common sense. If you have two different classifications, why would they be trying to throw out the right to bear arms when they don't have to? When you get a license to have a concealed Weapon. So any weapon that you can conceal falls under that category. And if they're issuing a license, then all they got to do is revoke your license (laughs) and tell you to turn in the guns. So how is it some conspiracy (laughs) to take people's guns? Shetrick, do you see what I'm saying, brother? Right. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I think, um, again, with conspiracy theories, there's always certain things missing. 
just like, you know, uh, people will say about, like, uh, the birth certificates, uh, the birth certificate uh, situation. A lot of people have created so, uh, have turned that into a religion because they've taken these theories and they've tried to apply them and, uh, in ways that's not necessarily true. Um but nonetheless, these conspiracy conspiracy theories, they're always missing certain things. So, you know, again, that's why they consider conspiracy theory, because they're always lacking certain things. Um, but I don't – I'm like this. If they they were going to do that, they, they'd have enough time to actually do it. I mean, they make laws every single day to do it, but – that's not to say that they can't do it, but again, you know, most of the time with people's conspiracy theories, is that they're usually always backing something. Um, so it does, it does, it is funny when they when you hear it because you're like, how did you come up with that? <laughs> yeah. How did you manage to? How do you figure in your mind that that is how it works? You know, you neglect politics, you neglect, you know. Uh, uh, due process, and you just say, "Hey, they're just gonna do it this way." Sex, sex, blah, blah, blah. So I get it, right? and and I and I agree that a lot of these theories are funny, and it, it doesn't seem plausible when you think about it. And you, yeah. So I'm leading that to 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 lead into this. Let's let's revisit this thing that um, we've been talking about. Um, maybe not everybody has heard me go over this, but A, B, C, and D, classification. This is the ecology of the earth. This is the real government platform, uh, particularly of the United States. There's A for aristocracy, B for bureaucracy, C for commercial entities, and D for the disenfranchised. Okay. Um, Commercial entities, C, the C-class, that can be citizens, nationals, businesses, corporations. The D-class, the disenfranchised, are classified as denizens, D-E-N-I-Z-E-N. But it's declassified, D-E-C-L-A-S-S-I-F-I-E-D. The word denizen is declassified. It's not circulated. So what you see, you you see it time and time again. There is one solution to the Negro problem in America or anywhere, period. It is as much spiritual as it is anything else and it is self-government. Birds, bees, animals, grass, and trees all understand the male-female relationship protocol. They all surrender to it. They all govern themselves. They all formulate their own tribes and nations, and, I'm, and I mean that literally. Bees, rats, they formulate their own tribes and nations naturally, but the Negro doesn't. In, in, 
the Negro in North America specifically, we formulate, well, I won't say totally because we do have gangs and gangs are micro nations. Same kind of concept. Now, although they're wicked, it's still a nation that they're doing. They're doing that's that's nationalism. The solution is nationalism, is self-government, is people that are of like kind doing all of their business affairs together as one. This is our message that we must spread. This goes beyond whether you identify people as Hebrew, Christian, whatever. You know they're your people, and you got to have these things in your mind. When Negroes go to to somebody's grocery store, excuse me, somebody's, um, oh, man, hair products, beauty supply stores is what I'm trying to say. When, when, when our sisters go to these beauty supply stores and buy fake hair, wigs, weaves, perms, and all of this stuff, you largely go into Korean places. They're not discriminating against Negroes buying that stuff. They don't care what your religion is or what your way of life is. They are going to keep um, smiling in your face long as you keep coming in there, partaking of their products, rightfully so. So we got to have that in our minds. We have to be an example. Don't just be a Hebrew that's going out here preaching Bible scripture. That's, I mean, that's fine, but it's not conducive really to reality. I just got to put it that way. It's not conducive. Here's why I say that. If the people that are in the scriptures weren't doing that, they weren't going around preaching scriptures to people. Yes, you see the, the Christ preaching scriptures. Every time he's talking, he's talking about scriptures. But let me show you why. That's different. He was doing that where it was applicable. That's like if that would be equivalent to a church service. If you have a church service, you know you're going to go there and hear scripture. So every time he was having these gatherings, that's what it was about. But do you think he's talking this 24-7 every day of his life? He has to go to the restroom. He has to sit down and do other things in his life. He was a carpenter. You, he's talking about carpentry. and that's, the, the, the scriptures don't teach you how to do carpentry. So my point is, let your light shine. Be what it is that you have read and studied. Don't try to beat people over the head. We're trying to convert them and sell what you have come to know as truth to them. The truth doesn't need you to sell it. The most high doesn't need us to sell the most high. Either you're going to understand it because you've got a reason to mind and you've got an ear to hear or you're not. I'm not saying you don't share it. I'm not saying you don't spread it. But you spread it. The real way to spread it is to be it. 
It's to be it. it it's it, EK. Does that make sense? Salam, brother. Yes, sir. It does. Brother Eric, are you there? Anyway, my point is I'm sorry, I'm here. I was it was on me. I don't know how to work my uh concept phone. <laughs> okay. So do you are you, are you follow me? What are your thoughts on that, bro? You there, brother? I'll come back to you, brother. Yeah, I'm. I'm here. I'm here. I, I once again. I don't have a phone, Trump. Yeah, it's right. Uh, you have to be what you what you expect. You know, if you if you talking, uh, far as you want this and you want everybody to be a certain way, you have to you have to be that way that you want everybody to see, so you can lead by example and not just by uh, come conversing all the time. You know. And and sometimes if you, a lot of people be talking and they don't know what they're talking about, and you got somebody believing you, and you led them down the wrong road, you know they put all in it, and you know sometimes that can be a, a a mental effect. You know you can you can mess somebody up that way. So uh, it, it's better to just be what you want to be, what you want to see, or the good you want to see. And with that, I yield. Yeah, oh man, I love the way you said that. Be the good that you want to see. Yeah. Be the good that you want to see. Why is this important? Because our people have a serious, serious spiritual problem. It's not religious. It's not it's it's spiritual, meaning where's the love? Where's the real love? We're displaying our hate for one another in all these murders. We're displaying our hate from of one another with all these separatist ideas in our mind. Of course, you're not going to be hanging out with crackheads. Of course, you're not going to be hanging out. You're not going to be unevenly yoked. You're not going to be hanging out with a bunch of Christians that are worshiping idol God. If that's not my point. But... You don't have to hang out with them to be able to be pleasant, respectful, and loving. That goes beyond all of that. If these people do wicked things that are causing you harm, of course you're going to get away from them. You won't make these your friends and your comrades. But when when we meet up with them, that doesn't mean we have to be disrespectful and, you know, become supremacists ourselves. We have Negroes that are black supremacists. They are supreme over other so-called blacks. They think of themselves as supreme. And we have to get away from that and be a better example. Why can't we just all live amongst one another without looking for all the minute details of our differences and making that an obstacle. That shows that there's a deep-rooted hatred for one another. Okay, 
So commercially, economically, you cannot solve poverty without unity. Economic, commercial unity. So as we're going through what we're going through, we're asking, hey, just do these three simple things to start off with, Facebook, Twitter, Gmail. Do those few things. Then we move from there. We're doing posts on social media. We do we were doing we're doing this prototype of hashtag stop the madness. And it it's picking it's picked up a little bit more. We've been doing better this last week. We did um pushing out Brother uh, uh, Kedrick's uh, business, the um, real-time delivery. So we're starting to do these things, and we're looking better. It's getting better. But any D-class of people, which is what our people have been in, we have to shed these idolatries and these conspiracy theories because these people are absolutely not against us just because of the color of our skin. But they are against us because of our behavior. And I don't care what kind of behavior they display. They have some wickedness, and we all know that they have wickedness. But we seem to be, like, shifting the blame. Oh, look at him. He's so wicked. But wait a minute. What about us? Don't we need to correct our wickedness and get that out of us? Brother uh, Minister Shedrick, you told us a, a, a situation that you went through on the was it on Facebook? Can you share that? I saw it again the other day. Uh, I didn't even comment, but the first incident, uh, there was a post. A young brother had posted. He asked, "Will I? Do you think that our children, uh, future, will be better or worse?" And predominantly, the whole uh, the whole uh, comment part was stating that it was going to be worse, and they gave their reasons. I just so happened to say that it's because of the savage. I say we have to get rid of some. We have to get rid of this savagery amongst our people, which is stealing, killing, and disrespecting each other. And immediately, not even maybe a Maybe a minute or so after that, I got called a coon. I was said to hate myself. I hate black people, which I stated none of these things. Now I stated I didn't say I hate black people. I just simply said that we need to get rid of some of the savages. And I and I and I and I stated I say where is this, I say where is this help hate? Where is the hatred of black people? Because I'm willing to actually say what you're not willing to say because you have this. You're you're trying to promote this idea of black pride. I say a part of being uh, uh, having black pride is being able to uh, to or being willing to correct our people when we're wrong. And I say this is I say we can't move forward until we do it. And I say I don't care anything about what white people got going on because that's not even my concern. I'm not white. That doesn't mean I can't empathize, but even at the end of the day, that's not my concern because regardless of, regardless of what, when you look at the Caucasian community, 
They have their killers, they have their rapers, they have their murderers, so on and so forth. But you know what happens? Their communities are still thriving. They 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 still run government as usual. They they still help each other as usual. They still keep their grass and their lawn clean. They still pay their taxes. They still pay their fees for their homeowner association, so on and so forth. Because they're not defined by that one individual crime, or uh, or at least they don't allow themselves to be defined by that one individual crime. Now, although we don't want to be defined by that one individual crime, we still can't allow it to affect our community. It shouldn't be a oh well, well we could, oh as a matter of fact, just I was just saying just a few a few minutes ago, uh, last night I saw this um uh. What was it? There was this conversation the guy was having. He was say, oh, because uh, uh, Ray Lewis and Shannon Sharp, they were discussing on some platform about Colin Kaepernick and why he took a knee and all this other different stuff. And in the comment section, there was these two brothers who were having a conversation. It was actually this Latino brother and this uh, African-American brother they were having a conversation. And so the Latino uh, guy said, you guys are taking – the issue of police brutality, which is a small, a small part of your problems, and making a larger part of your problems when most of your problems comes from the black on black crime. And at some point in time, I mean, I really couldn't disagree with that because we—it's uh, not healthy when you have your own community, you know, killing, stealing, and disrespecting each other. And so the black guy, he really was like adamant about it. He was he was adamant in his rebuttal. Oh no, black on black crime is not uh uh is not a major part of our problems. We need to deal with police <laughs> police killing us first, and then we can worry about black on black crime, which isn't a major part of our problem. Oh. And so the Latino guy was like, well, ninety four percent of black on uh it's ninety four percent of crime going on within the community of black people, committed by black people. And so the black guy was like, well, it's 87% of crime going on in the Latino community. And so the Latino guy was like, well, there it is. The rates are higher in the the black community than it is in the Latino community. So that's a sure sign that you guys need to do something. Well, you shouldn't be a hypocrite because you we both have crimes in our neighborhood. He said, but yours at this particular point is higher, so you should focus on the crime going on between the people in your community as opposed to you guys getting shot in the street. Because if you guys don't stop shooting these stuff, you know, killing people in your own community, then you don't have to worry about the cops doing it because you'll all be dead before you guys can do anything about it. Well. And I was like, he didn't lie. <laughs> and, the, and the black guy was still being combated about it. You're racist and this, that, and the other. And how dare you tell me you were about this? And I was just like, wow, this is crazy. Where did he lie? He didn't lie. He said exactly the truth. But, yeah, that's basically what ended up happening. And I yield because I don't take too much time, brother. But I yield. Well, well my is how sad that how sad that is that but when you said it this time I think I heard something 
that I think I heard what they hear. Okay, so to reiterate this, this is what happened. Shedrick responded to this thing, and he said, well, if we cut out some of the savagery in our in our communities, such as disrespecting one another and killing each other, then maybe our futures would be better. That's the paraphrase. Okay. So to me, on this side of the fence, I'm like, I 100% agree with him. Uh, that is correct, because if we did come cut out that behavior, we would have a better future. But here's what I think they heard. I think they heard the age-old niggers are savages. And I think they shut their ears off to anything outside of that. Because at first when you mentioned it, I couldn't understand how they couldn't see that. But I can understand when I look back at it and say, oh, maybe they just heard him call niggers savages. And I really think they might have just tuned out after that. So then it would make sense because Caucasians used to refer to us as savages and when we found you, you were running in the jungles with bones in your nose and all of that. And you all were savages and we civilized you. So then it would make sense for why they would call him a coon and why they would say he hates black people because they probably didn't hear anything other than the word savage. They probably that is, didn't that sad, though. Say that again? I said it's sad. I, it's sad that it has to come to that. And I'm going to explain why. And I, and I agree with you 100%, but it's sad that it has to come to that. And the reason why it's sad that it, it, it has to come to that is because our people should... I think what also is missing here, it's the same thing with the law. People, again, I used to say this all the time, people think that certain concepts are one-sided. So if I say, if I call, if I'm saying that a Negro is acting savage, they're thinking that, well, we're saying that only Negroes can be savage, when I'm not saying that Negroes can be savage. Only Negroes can be savage. I'm saying that because obviously when I explained that the savage behavior is killing, stealing, and disrespecting, I know that that is going on in white, uh, in white communities, in Asian communities, Latin communities, so on and so forth. So it's a universal concept that seems to be uh, misunderstood in our community as only being applied to them because, again, like you just said, it was used to describe our people. But that's the ignorance of us because we don't step outside of the box and say, well, I know that I'm not the only savage walking around because anytime I can see a, a Caucasian person eating noodles out of a toilet, I know that's savage behavior. But when I hear it, if I'm being called a savage, why are you calling me a savage? I'm not saying that you're the only savage. And I'm not even saying that you have to be a savage. I'm saying that it is savage for our people to kill, steal, and disrespect each other, and we need to stop doing that. But I can completely agree when you say that they, hey, that is all they heard, because they have, because in the past we have just been associated with the word savagery by people outside of us. 
when now I look back, you know, now with us being in this nation, I'm able to step outside the box. I know that's a universal concept. You understand? So, but it's sad that it's come to that, and I yield, brother. It is sad, but that's the very reason why I'm trying to stress this to us. Amongst people out there, there's a whole lot of us that have that type of weak type of mind, that they can't actually read words and properly comprehend them without it striking emotion in them. There's a whole lot of us out there like that. But amongst those that are like that, there are those who are valuable gems that don't know which way to go and they need guidance and they need camaraderie more than anything. They need to know that there's an alternative to all of that madness, you know, because even these people that I met, I met some millionaires with some millionaires and some billionaires. Okay. So these millionaires, they good, solid people, you know, literally, I, I didn't have any real issue with them. Um, they just good, solid people. But the billionaires, a whole nother issue. And I'm saying these people that were millionaires, they weren't, they weren't, um, they definitely weren't religious at all. But they, but they were pleasant to speak with and what have you. So I want to encourage us that, listen, we don't, the only way we're going to pull ourselves up out of this and reach other people who we all want to help, we all want to love and help our people as a whole, but you just got to be careful of who you're dealing with and how you do it. Because if Shedrick had said, well, if we just stopped killing and stealing from each other, we would have a better future, I really think he wouldn't have got that backlash. But the fact that he used that one word and they can't see past it, and although it means the same thing, whether you use that word or not, you see it. What it did, brother, is it showed you exactly that it's true. It showed you the truth. The fact they responded like that was savage. Mm-hmm. I know. So, <laughs> so it, it, we have rise above that. We have to step outside of that. Let me just add one more thing about this. So everybody look at this. Your conduct and your character. You're a Hebrew. You're an Israelite of the Hebrew faith. But you have to be that, not hiding behind scripture quotes. It's got to be you. You don't hear me quote the scriptures like you hear those Hebrews on the street. I do that on purpose. One, I was trained that way, but I do it consciously and on purpose. I live those words. I'm not trying to impress anybody with them. I'm not trying to do anything other than be those words. And that's more important than quoting them. Because a lot of these people that can quote and call off scripture, it's like, I mean, yeah, you can learn to do that. That is not impressive at all. You can learn to do that. 
But can you really learn to live those words? And do you really comprehend those words you are quoting? Because <laughs> obviously you don't. <laughs> I'm saying we have to rise above it. Now, in law, this is how, let me deal with this North America specifically so we really see this. Any group of people at any given time can become we the people that the Constitution is talking about. Or they can operate as we the people. That's a better way to say it. Any group of people at any given time can operate as we the people. Here's what's going on in Congress. Here's what's going on in city council. All they're doing is budgeting. All they're arguing about is budgeting. Meaning they get a bill on the table. They got to sit down and review it. They got to review the cost of it. And then they have to weigh that against what their annual monies that are coming in are and if they can afford to implement this bill. So whereas it appears like they're arguing about some type of ethics, I mean, maybe there are a few ethical things in there, but for the most part, it's not about ethics. They're arguing when they bring up an ethical principle, it's backed by what they can afford to implement. So how can I say this? So look, if they say, okay, let's theoretically use gun control. If they get a bill on the table that says they need to pass this law to remove all weapons from those who are licensed to carry weapons. Because those are the only ones that they can, can track anyway are the ones that are licensed and the ones that are registered. The guns are just like cars. The only ones that they know that exist are the ones that are registered, that are registered. All of them have some type of inventory number that traces it back to a, a manufacturer, but they can only, theoretically, you're not supposed to have a weapon unless it's registered so that they know exactly who has the weapon. And if it's used for something illegally, they know who to stick the blame on. Okay, Brother Alex, does that make sense to you? Brother Montavious, does that make sense to you? Shalom. I was on mute, Brother Priest. Yes, it does. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, like, uh, if something was to, like, happen, just say if an incident was to happen, or a store was to get robbed, and and there was a gun there. They know 
who the gun was registered registered to, so they can they know who to go and look for. You know, and then it just gives them the ups on who they're dealing with. So if they was to pull someone over in traffic, they know, okay, he's registered to hold a firearm. Ain't no need to be, you know, acting crazy or treating them like he's a suspect. So I think it's good to register. Yes, it is. And here's the reason why you register. It's only because it's able to be concealed as a weapon. That means... You walk into a club. This is Plaxico Burris, former New York Giants, um, Pittsburgh Steeler wide receiver. Walks into a club, shoots himself, and he gets put in prison for two years. So, Sister Nisha, why was he put in prison for two years for shooting himself? That's a really interesting question. Um, hmm. His gun, because it was his gun and it was registered and they knew who the firearm belonged to, so they knew who was at fault? Yep. Wait, say that again? Yep. Yes, all of the above. this is my question. It's not like he shot someone else. He shot himself. But, ooh, sir, is that because the person that actually holds the title to his person, or should the people that actually hold the title to his person were injured because he shot himself? Is that why he had to atone for shooting himself? And I yield. That is a very good vantage point. I'm going to say, yes, that's part of it. But here's, but I'm going to simplify it a little more. But yes, you're correct. You're correct. But look, a concealed weapon means that you have to have a license to conceal it. That's the first point. But when you walk into a place, this is the point that everybody missed. When you walk into a place that is illegal to bring in a concealed weapon, now you broke that law. So he's already in violation because he got into the place with with a concealed weapon. Secondly, the fact that the gun went off. That's a second crime. It just so happened that it hit him, but it's still two crimes that have been committed. And then thirdly, it's who it who the bullet actually hit him. The, it hit his person that is controlled by people, and the people that control them are the we the people that made these laws that make it so that all these persons are supposed to conduct themselves in that way. So he ended up in prison for two years, and that makes perfect sense if you think about it from this angle. Okay, 
he was doing everything right. He has a license to conceal it, um, all of that. But he was in a place that it is illegal to carry a concealed weapon in. So he broke the law by getting in there with it. Okay, so that means he had to, he he most likely tricked the people, the uh, security, or he bribed them. One and two, or three, they he they just didn't see it. He had it so well hidden, but he broke a law. Okay, now look. Class A, the aristocracy. These are the lawmakers. These are the creditors. These are the underwriters. These are the private sector who understand law government, and commerce. So, when you're watching Congress meet and you see them arguing back and forth, I don't, it, I don't care how much they emotionally get into it. I'm not saying they're acting, but hear me good. The only thing they're discussing is what we, the people, the aristocracy, submitted to them in the form of bills. Can we afford to implement what they want? Can we afford this? Does our budget allow allow for us to implement this? Does our budget allow for us to pay um, employees in the bureaucracy, police, fire department, FBI, CIA, NSA, so on and so forth, politicians, state representatives, all of them are the bureaucracy. Can we afford, can we afford to pay all of these people with the budget money that we have? So the ethical principles are secondary. And they only bring in the ethical principles to try to sway the other party or somebody else into passing, approving the budget money to be released. Okay, Montavious, are you following me? Can you explain it in your own words? They basically they just working together to see what bills they can pass and um, do they have the financial uh, leverage to do so. Yes, exactly. That's it. If they can afford it, if they let's say they can't afford it, well then they have to. Talk to the we, the people, who are creditors. It says, listen, we can get this passed, but we need more money to be able to pay these employees to carry this out. 
That's all this is going this this is the only thing going on and people are talking about excuse my language, goddamn conspiracies. <laughs> it's not a conspiracy. It is not. And again, like I was leading, I'm saying if one of these politicians came out and said, hey, there's a conspiracy going on, I'm going to listen to them before I'm going to listen to these street idiots. Because I can go ahead. Uh, No, I'm going to let you finish, brother. I I don't want to cut you off just yet. I want to ask you a question after you start speaking. I apologize. I was just going to say, I would know if a politician says there's a conspiracy, I would know they actually have the the real information to be able to speak on it and say that there is. Go ahead, brother. I was so basically what you're saying in regards to the bills and all of this stuff being passed, you're saying that it wouldn't necessarily be, it, it's not a conspiracy, the conspiracy theories are uh, uh, just that, if anything, only because if Congress was going to pass a uh, uh, a bill, or they were going to take their guns, if anything, if they were going to just uh, try to take the guns, they would at least have to try to, uh, uh, number one, pass the bill, and number two, see if it would fit in the budget for them to even go out and compensate. Yes. Exactly. Okay, medical marijuana. Legalizing marijuana. What is this about? Okay, class A doesn't want it legalized. That's all it's about. There's nothing else to discuss, period. If you, it, it, really, if you're thinking it's emotional, if you're thinking that it's because they're wicked, they pass these laws like this, no. We're coming from a D class. We're coming with, from a D class mentality from a disenfranchised body of people who don't understand government law and commerce, when you walk up to the polls and you go to vote, listen to me good, listen to me good. How many Negroes actually know who and what they are voting for? Forget whether or not it's electing versus voting, all of that. They go, I, when I last went to the polls, I want to say this was 92. That's when I last I went to the polls. Okay. Bill Clinton, right? You go to the poll, they give you a slate. The slate has, if you vote for president, um, Bill Clinton then also vote for these people underneath. None of which I ever heard of. None of which I don't even know what they look like. So in a matter of the time that you're standing in, listen to what this is doing. You're already pre-decided that, hey, you're a Republican, hey, you're a Democrat. You already pre-decided on that. You might be registered as a Democrat, you may not be registered as a Democrat, which is another completely miseducation thing. These parties have registered members. Negroes just go down there and do whatever the hell they get their shoved in their face 
and they've heard that, you know, our people vote Democrat. Um, black people are supposed to vote Democrat because the Democrats are for black people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, listen, you, get, you, get, uh, you get a slate shoved in your face, and what they have effectively done is they have given, given you marching orders on who you are going to vote for outside of the president or it's the same in the state election, it's the same in the city election. A mayor is a city president. A governor is a state president. The president of the United States is the president of the entire corporation. So if you go to a mayoral election, they shove a slate in your face, and you don't know any of these other parties. You know anything about them, never seen them. So they have basically told you who to vote for. So they know when they're, what they're running is a popularity contest, mm-hmm. and they want to get as many, quote-unquote, voters to come out so that they can have evidence that their popularity opinion poll gives them the right to take the seat. It's all that's going on. It's not all of this other stuff that people believe. But if you don't even know, if you've cast a, uh, if you went to a voter's poll and have cast a ballot and you don't know any of these people and you don't know any of their platform policies, what they have in mind, what they want to do, what they're moving forward to, how are you actually competent to even cast a ballot? You're not. I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm telling the truth. So then they'll have proposal A, vote no, right? Then over here, vote yes. And they they stick these things in your face, these, these things, and because we didn't read, we didn't study, we don't understand government law and commerce, before we walk up to the poll, oh, black people got the right to vote, so we got to go vote. Well, part, of, part of voting should mean being properly educated and making a proper decision on what you are voting for. You should know what, you should know why, you should know how all this works. But yet... Roughly, I think I can safely say probably 99.9% of Negro America doesn't have a clue are the ones that vote. Okay, now watch this. All they did was spend enough campaign money to get a certain face and personality out in front of you. They already know that they have such and such amount of registered Democratic um, party members. Those party members contribute um, campaign funds to the party. They already know that this, the rest of the Negroes are not um, officially registered party members. So that means they want to make this, they want to appeal to those Negroes to win the opinion poll. Excuse me, excuse me. So they can tell just, they can have justification for how they can sit that seat. Now, the Negroes don't know Proposal A. 
So you read this little thing and while you're standing in line trying to decide whether you're going to vote yes, all you've seen is you've seen a couple of commercials. You've heard people talking about it. You don't know where to go look it up. You don't know who even who even instituted the bill. And we call our people competent, conscious. We call them conscious. In addition, we call our people um, oppressed. Where is the oppression? <laughs> in this scenario, in this scenario, where's the oppression? Where's the oppression that has omitted you from reading and studying enough to know? Listen, babies understand. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm doing, so I shouldn't do it. But so-called grown adults just walk down there and just pet. Somebody sticks a piece of paper in your face, and then you just write, put in your ballot for that? Well, I realized that at age 22, this is before I even knew any of this stuff. I realized that at that moment. I was looking at this like, I don't know anything about this. From that point on, I made it my mission to know. I said I am not voting one more time until I know everything that I'm voting for and about and who I'm voting for and about. Then I got really deep into being a Hebrew, and then I just said the hell with it all together. But nonetheless, if I were to vote, and I'm not saying that I never would, I just haven't, um, it's not proper for us to vote. We're only supposed to vote for people within our own nation, bloodline, but that's not our year. My point is, I hope you all see what I'm saying here. We don't even know what... Yes. Go ahead. Shalom, brother. I want to get this out really quick. I kind of liken the whole situation, the way you explained it. I kind of liken it to there's this one big house and you have the head of the household and you have all of the people that, you know, live there and have them pay the utilities and so on and so forth. They're going to, uh, the head of the house is going to have somebody else come in, uh, move in off the street, you know, and this person off the street is going to say, hey, I found a great cable company and we're going to get cable. So now uh, the people want to decide whether or not hey, can we afford this new cable bill? Everybody up for a new debate. But the, here's the kicker. Nobody really knows this new cable company. Nobody really knows how much it's going to cost. But like our people, because we don't really understand politics, we're going to go ahead and vote for this new cable company. Now, mind you, this new cable company, unexplained, may be like in the millions. So what's up happening is, and, and this is just hypothetically speaking, what's up happening is, Hey, the people go and vote for this new uh, proposal on this new cable bill that they may not or may could afford, and then all of a sudden this bill is passed, and now the people in the house, uh, the head of the house, they're going to enjoy the cable. The people at the bottom, they're stuck with the bill. <laughs> they're stuck with the cable bill every month. <laughs> that is <laughs> That is, I know, brother, but that's that's basically the best way to describe this whole situation in America. <laughs> yes. oh, that is it. Shalom. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. 
one more one more point, not to mean to cut you off, but it just goes back to the old adage, you wanna hide something from a put it put it in a book. You know, so it's just people just gotta read. Like everything is in the fine print. If you don't read, you know, you won't succeed basically. So that's really what it comes down to. Yes, brother. But but you know what? I'll make it even simpler and worse for us. This is going to show you how foolish we are. All you got to do is read public notice city council meeting, public notice on CNN, C-SPAN, congressional meeting. You ain't even got to read nothing else but that and go down and listen. And you'll under, the first thing you're going to see is they're going to go, they're talking about budgeting. It doesn't look like it all of the time, but that's all they're talking about. Okay, now, here's my other point. Class A in America is predominantly Caucasian and other nationalities. Okay. Class D, which our people are in, don't understand this structure. We don't hang out the same places that Class A hangs out at. We don't even know the, the, the stuff that those types of people think like or talk about. We have nothing in common with those people except for the fact that we live and breathe. Now, let me make that really clear. We don't think like them. We don't enjoy the same things that they enjoy. They have different dietary programs. They have different lifestyles, thought patterns. Everything is different. So let's look at this. When they go to class B and present a bill, whose interest is protected? Who are they presenting the bill to satisfy? Is it class A that they're trying to appeal to and satisfy, or is it class D? Okay, is that a conspiracy? No. Mm -mm. We like hip-hop. We like neo-soul, right? They might not listen to that. So if we go to the polls and we pass some bills, we get some bills passed that make Kanye the president, Okay, we just put somebody that is popular amongst us that may have some of our best interests at heart. Is that a conspiracy against them? No. So if you understand what I'm saying, Class D members interpret everything as some type of conspiracy and oppression against them. Can I I just say this really quick? So in all essence, and and I'm not trying to be funny when I say this, but in all essence, even if they decide to confiscate guns, they'd have the, if they pass the bill and the law to do it, they'd have the, the law would be on their side. They'd have the right to do it. And that even, even if the quote unquote conspiracy theory would be confirmed, it still wouldn't be wrong for them to do it because it's the law of the land. They can do what they want. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, since we're going to say that, then 
you know, basically what I'm saying now or what I gather from it is even if the conspiracy theory, quote, unquote, was confirmed by them passing the law to confiscate guns, it wouldn't be wrong it, because now it's the law of the land. They have to, you know, you know, the people at the high up, they have to honor it and they have to go out and confiscate the guns. It will be an yeah. inconvenience to Class D, but it is still the law of the land. So, no, it ain't a conspiracy theory. It's just fact. <laughs> it's the law of the land. I yield. Exactly. So, if those people have nothing in common with our people, it wouldn't matter what class we were in. We could be in the C class. It wouldn't matter. If those people have nothing in common with our people, why would people think that Class B, the United States government, is going to pass laws that are going to benefit our people, whether it's Barack Obama in office or anybody else that's supposed to be for black people. They're not going to do that. It's, it's, it's almost impossible. It don't even make common sense when you really know what's going on. It doesn't even make sense. So what are you angry for? You're angry and you're oppressed because my people perish for the lack of knowledge because they reject the knowledge. They reject the knowledge. We're rejecting knowledge every single day. We're throwing ourselves into idolatry. Oh, Jesus, that. Oh, Yahweh, Shai, this and that. What the hell ever. I'm conscious. I'm a god. I'm Egypt. I'm Pharaoh. Whatever the hell. All of that is some damn idolatry. So you throw yourself in that, and that's supposed to be the answer. And it, and here's the problem. I haven't seen one single one of these preachers, prophets, gods and goddesses, messengers, or whatever the hell, imams, ministers, whatever. I haven't seen one of them be able to talk about with any type of real common sense what we're discussing here today. They don't give us any insight. They don't give us anything but emotion. I respect Al Sharpton, but I don't care for him. All he does is stir up emotion. Oh, they did something. They're discriminating against us. We're going to go. We're going to march on them. Jesse Jackson, respect him. Don't care for him. Same thing. It's all emotion and rhetoric. And then they use these words to try to make you think that they know what they're talking about. So you'll hear these quote-unquote politicians or famous Negro civil rights leaders, and they'll go and talk about, well, yeah, the the black community has this amount of budget. Okay, yeah. All all you're doing is just just trying to impress people because you don't know what you're talking about. And that's clear. When when you wake up to this mind, and I'm saying – you look at this, and it's clear. <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. Okay, now, from that perspective, if Class A are the creditors, and Class B says, well, you've produced this bill, and the only way I can argue this with Class B and get it passed, or IE, get it approved into the budget, is we have to have budget money to put in because we're out of money. We can't afford this. 
So now class A becomes an underwriter. So now what do they do? They have to check the credit scores of the class B members or the party and find, they have to run their credit and find out if they're worthy of them extending this money. Okay. First, you're going to put the bill in and tell them, put this in. And then they have to listen. That's class A, puts the bill in, and then class B has to listen. Now, class B, it comes up, they look at it, and then they say, okay, well, we don't have the money for this, and I'm not so sure this, that this is even necessary or good for our corporation. So we got to discuss and see what the other side thinks. One party might think it's good. The other party might think it's not good. One party says, okay, this is why it's good. The other party says, this is why it's not, it's not good. And they're trying to sway each other so that by the time they cast their vote as to whether to approve this into the budget or not, then it would all make sense what the argument is. Here's what the arguments are. Republicans are for the corporation. The Democrats are for the persons or the flesh and blood living souls classified as persons. That's why our people are stuck on this. Democrats are for Negroes. No, they're not. They're for persons, persons of interest specifically. And although a person is classified as a corporation, it's easier for me to say um, Republicans are for big business, the rich in the big business. The Democrats are for the average, everyday person. Now, they have to take turns in order to balance their ledger. If you had consistent Republican regimes, where you had, let's say, 100 years of all Republican presidents, 100 years of all Republican-dominated Congress, where there's more Republicans in Congress than Democrats. You had 100 years of that, then obviously you're going to create, this is what it creates. Let's just look at it logically. And I didn't have to study to see this. I didn't have to study any words and law books to see this. If all the money is going towards the benefit of businesses and corporations, or big businesses rather, and corporations, then naturally that's going to create a further economic divide for the persons that don't have this knowledge. Naturally, the persons that don't have this knowledge, their communities are going to suffer. Money is going to leave their community because that means the schools are not going to be funded the same way. All that, all those funds are going to be going to big businesses rather than to communities. So eventually you would have such an imbalance that it would cause a civil unrest. So what they have to do is they have to give each party a chance to enforce their platform. So the Democrats are saying, look, we have to keep the interest of these persons in mind. 
you all are so much focused on these businesses, you're forgetting that there's persons that we have to we have to be slave masters to. Okay, so then the, the Republicans are saying, okay, well, if they were any, if they were really worth it, they would do something for themselves to get into big business. So we can't be concerned with their interests. So, so uh, Trevon, is that making sense? Are you there, Trevon? I I just saw you. Are you there? Well, I hope that makes sense. Anybody got a question about that? No, um, I don't have a question. I do um, have a comment. Um, I I think it's um, rather interesting um, seeing all that is now or understanding it now. Like, um, I think it was in the Book of Kings, where uh, at this particular time, Nebuchadnezzar had seized, uh, he had started pretty much incorporating all of the kingdoms under his uh, fold, and then uh, he came and got the, he pretty much subjected the first half of, I think, Judah, uh, or the Congress of Judah, I like to say it, under uh, his rulership. And he put who he wanted to put in in the seat. I think uh, he removed one king and then he put in Jehoiakim. Uh, uh, it went from Elikim and changed his name to Jehoiakim. Uh, I, I can never say his name right. And it further lets me know now I understand why uh, the president does what he does and why the international bankers allow Congress to do what it is that they do and why Congress does what they do in regards to the budgeting and stuff like that is because they understand that uh, more or less whatever it is that they do is going to benefit uh, the interests of the international bankers who they're subjected to. Because I like to always think that everybody has somebody that they answer to, you know. Um, it's a reason why you have, you know, the statement that I don't care who can, you know, who makes the laws, just give me the control of the money. Now that I think about it, it's not such a quote-unquote uh, evil statement like people, you know, may perceive it to be because in all actuality, these are the United States creditors. These are the people who allowed them to uh, function as a government and let them to continue doing what it is that they're doing. And as long as they have the, you know, the, uh, uh, I guess you could say the staff, even though they're under the subjection of the international bankers, they still have to, make sure that they keep the books. They still have to account for everything that they, you know, they do, their their income and their expenditures. Um, I I know many are probably trying to figure out how I got all the, you know, 
how I come up with all of this by just reading that, but all all Minister Priest did is just expound on what is actually going on in that particular chapter. These people make the rules, and then the people who are subjected underneath Congress, they're the ones who, you know, are going to pay taxes and make sure, you know, and follow the rules, so to speak. But now I have an in-depth insight as to what was going on, what may have been going on during the time that Nebuchadnezzar came and took one uh, set of people to bondage and installed his own king and allowed him to commit some type of ministration uh, in the state of Israel before, you know, uh, some more uh, people ended up coming uh, to Babylon, so to speak. Um, that's pretty much what I wanted to say. That was my comment, brother, and I yield. Yeah. Shalom, Nation. Uh, I don't have a question, but I'm starting to realize something. Um, the other day, I was reading the book of Esther. And it just clicked this minute. So I wouldn't say it just clicked this minute. It clicked like two days ago when I was reading it about what Priest was telling us, he's been telling us since we started the Stop the Badness campaign and promoting uh, businesses um, that nation members have so we can start developing commerce for the nation. When Priest was talking to us, probably like two or three weeks back, and he was telling us about actually taking control of certain elected officials' bonds, like judges and, you know, police commissioners and sheriffs and politicians, and that's how you pretty much are able to get the laws passed that you need to be passed to benefit your particular body politic. I'm saying this because of the following. When minister, excuse me, yes, when Minister Cedric was talking about the really uncomfortable conversation that he had via Facebook, where he was just simply trying to explain to our people that we have to basically take care of our backyard before we go looking in someone else's backyard. And I believe that that statement was duly noted or substantiated when Minister Cedric also spoke about the conversation that took place between the African-American man and the Latino man about the crime rate of black-on-black crime, Latino-on-Latino crime. Even though the Latino community has a very high rate as well, the African-American man couldn't even hear 
what this, his Latino brother was saying. You have to, instead of hearing what he was saying, he immediately threw dirt right back to say, well, look at you, you know, look at what you're doing. So what does someone else and what they're doing have to do with you and the course that you're supposed to be staying on as an individual? It made me realize that in Deuteronomy 28, when it talks about us being taken by a foreign nation to the point where our minds will be utterly destroyed, you can see the destruction in just the communication that Minister Cedric was partaking in or present in via social media. There is a victim mindset that is prevalent within our community. There's also a infantile state of mind consciousness that is present within our community. Our people will constantly talk about being oppressed, and then in the next breath, they'll talk about going to the same government that they're complaining about oppressing them and asking their, that government for more liberty. Because that's all we're given. You know, we can't get it twisted. We're, give, we're like under, uh, you know, maritime law, where we're given certain civil liberties. We don't have uh, rights necessarily R-I-T-E, but we have rights R-I-G-H-T-F that are afforded to us by the specific we the people that actually own our person. Okay. It also basically accentuates the effects of slavery. And when you think about the things that Dr. Joyce Geary Leary spoke about, and when you think about things that um, also uh, Dr. Chris Wilson touched upon, you know, the post-traumatic slave syndrome. And it made me think of this part, this part in a movie that I really love, like, I favor, send a favor a lot, called The Great Debaters that Denzel Washington played the lead in when, you know, he was teaching his debaters certain techniques of verbal dueling, so to speak. And he asked one of the students, he was teaching a question about his father. And the student was a little bit of a head case, but he was very talented and had a lot of potential. And the student immediately threw the question back at him. And he said, well, you tell me about your father. And he said, you know, this is not about my father. He said, well, are we not, in, you know, at this particular point, are we not engaged in the debate, right? So Denzel's character gets up and he says, okay, take the most, you know, reckless, um, rebellious nigger slave in front of the remaining niggers, males, females, and children. Beat that nigger slave to the point where he is almost dead. Tar and feather him in front of those nigger 
remaining nigger males, females, and children. Tied all of his limbs in four different directions and ripped him apart with horses. Okay? This was a strategy of a wicked slave handler from the West Indies named Willie Lynch. Willie Lynch's tactics were very simple. Keep the body, kill the mind. That way, keep the slave physically strong, but mentally you kill him to where he can't think for himself, so he's constantly dependent upon the slave master. Do everything for him, which is what I see has manifested in these days with our people. Now to kind of get back to the book of Esther and what I was realizing that Brother Priest was showing us, and it came to life when I read the book, when Haman decided to request money be put aside to exterminate Mordecai, because and all, all of Mordecai's people, not knowing that Esther was his niece, and she had risen to queen status. The king of Persia, Ahasuerus, found favor. Uh, um, um, Esther found favor in his eyes, and he left her out of all of the virgins of the land that he gathered together, and he made her king instead of Ashby. So she was now queen. I mean, he made her queen instead of Ashby, so she was now queen. Haman did not know, because Mordecai had petitioned Esther to keep quiet about who her people were, because Persia was ruling all the way to Ethiopia, like about 27 different provinces. So when Haman went and asked the king to put the silver aside so that he could kill off all of the Jews just because Mordecai would not prostrate himself, whenever Haman came in his presence, which is pride and evil, uh, you know, ego and just really wicked, you know. He's not really breaking any, um, like he's not going around, you know, raping and pillaging, you know, their townships or anything. It's just not, come, you know, customary for Hebrew to worship another individual. That's idolatry. So... When he took counsel to do these things, and Esther sent word to the gates and people to the gates to check on Mordecai because she had found out that he had rent his, his garment because he found out about the decree that Haman petitioned the king to send out to all the provinces to slaughter every Jew in all of their provenances, just because Mordecai would not prostrate himself then. He put on sackcloth and began fasting. So Esther sent some of her chamberlains that she was over to question him and find out what was going on. And he said to his niece, like, I need you to go and talk to the king for me. And she said, well, you know, there's a law that if anybody comes into the courtyard and he hasn't called you, and if he doesn't put the scepter, the golden scepter out to you, that you will be put to death immediately. And she sent that word back to Mordecai, and Mordecai was like, yo, listen, don't think that you'll escape this decree just because 
you're a queen now. If they find out who your people are, it'll come right to your doorstep as well. And maybe this is the reason why the Most High put you in this position to be able to help your people, which is what we are supposed to do. And so she said, all right, I'll do what you ask me, but I need you to do me a favor. I need you to tell everybody to go into the prayer closet. I need y'all to pray for me for three days and fast for me for three days. And then I'm going to go before him and see what happens. And basically, she went into the court, and when he saw her, he found favor, and he extended the golden scepter for her. And she came, and she touched the scepter, and she said, well, can you come to this banquet? I want to prepare a banquet for you, you know? And you can bring her mom. Bring her mom with you. And so he gets all dressed up. He feels all good. His girls, his woman is asking, his lady's asking him to come to the banquet. She's going to pick some good delicacies for him. So he's all merry. He's having his wine. And he's like, you know, Esther, what do you want? You know, if you want anything, even them to have the kingdom, I'll give it to you. And, you know, She's like, okay, God, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta weigh this out. Like, I don't even know how to say this to him because I don't know how he's going to take it because I never told him I was a Jew. He doesn't know that. And then he signed this decree, agreed to it, and sent it out to all the provinces to kill all my people. So she said, you know, if it pleases the king, and I found favor in his eyes, can you come tomorrow and come on tomorrow to another banquet in your honor? And he said, yeah. I'll come. So she finally musters up the courage the next day to figure out a way to say it to him. Meanwhile, the night before, Haman passes the gate, and he sees Mordecai. And, you know, first he's all happy because he was invited to this banquet with the queen. And then he he sees Mordecai, and he gets picked off. And he's like, you know, I just come from the the, the royal palace, and I was invited to... um, to, you know, sit with the, the, the queen and the king and have dinner, and I've been invited back. And, you know, that evening the king had went to sleep, and he had a dream or whatever, and the moment he got up and he opened up the royal historical book, and he had found up, he had remembered the time where Mordecai had saved his life because two of his chamberlains were conspiring to kill him. And Mordecai found out about it, and he told the guards, and they inquired, and they found out the guys were really trying to kill him, and those two guys were put to death. So the king is thinking about, well, how do I honor this person, right? In the meantime, Haman is ticked off that, you know, he saw Mordecai, he just ruined his mood. So he went and had a gallows prepared to hang Mordecai, and he was coming into the royal court to ask him, can he hang him? And so the king is like, well, Haman, he said, just then Haman entered the, the royal court. And he said, yo, Haman, like, what would you do for somebody that did this for the king and saved the king's life? And he, and he said, Haman thought to himself, whoever the scribe was, he said, Haman thought to himself, who could, besides himself, could the king be talking about? You know what I mean? So he's like, oh, I would take the king's. Um, robes, and I would put it on him, and I would take the king's crown, and I would take the king's horse that he rides on, and I would put the person on the horse and ride him around town and say, this man should be honored because, you know, such and such and such and such. And the king said, great, do me a favor. Take everything that you said you would take and do everything you said you would do to Mordecai. 
So his face just dropped because he was coming to ask him to hang him. So he had to basically do what the king told him and ride Mordecai around on the horse and whatever, whatever. So later that evening, he goes to the banquet, and Esther finally tells him. And she's like, you know, if it was, if, if, if someone just, if someone conspired to just lay hands on me and kill me, then maybe I could take it. But this, the conspiracy and the decree has gone out against my people to wipe them out completely. And, and the king is like, well, who did this? And she said, come on. And then the king's face changed, and he's just he's pissed off. Because he didn't know that she was a Jew, and he listened to his man and was like, I'm going to kill all these people, and gave him his signet ring and told him to issue decree on this particular day to slaughter all the Jews. So the king leaves the room ticked off, and Haman shook, and so he throws himself on Queen Esther's mercy, but he draped himself, like, over her lap. So the king comes back in, and he sees this dude on his woman, and he's like, oh, so now you're also going to try and rape my wife in front of me? And then one of the other guys was like, just now, you know, Haman brought in this gallows that he wanted to hang Mordecai on. And then the king was like, you know what? Hang him on it. And they hung him. And then after that, the king actually gave Esther his royal signet, his corporate seal, and told her that she can write whatever decree she wants, wanted, and she handed the signet ring over to her uncle. And they basically took charge of all the cops, all the sheriffs, all the judges, all of the militia, and they basically joined every Jew in the different provinces who had enemies that were waiting for the day to take them out they basically helped them take their enemies out and loot and take all the stuff from their houses. Was that not what, or is that not what priests have been telling us can occur for years? And I yield. There it is. That's it. Uh, I don't have to. I don't have to quote scripture because I understand it. So when I read it, that this is what I'm reading. I'm reading. Oh, okay. D class members got somebody in the bureaucracy, or yeah, in the bureaucracy, and that's Esther. And then she gets the power from Class A. Bam. It's a different game. You know, she can pull her people out of Class B, put them in Class A, and then put Class B to work. That's how it is. So, again, once you understand this type of thinking, and then you read the scriptures from this perspective, it'll make far more sense. It'll be easier to discuss it. It'll be easier to get people to understand it. 
because what they believe that they believe in as total fantasy, they are making stuff up. They are making stuff up that has nothing to do with this Bible. <laughs> and it is crazy. I don't care whether it's more science, Egyptology, Hebrew Israelites on the streets, idolatry. So we've been here two hours. There were some other things I wanted to close on, but you know we've been here two hours. Be encouraged to get your, your things straightened out so we can all move forward. Thank you all for being here. Shalom. 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 Shalom.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.